It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Monday, February 28, 2022. I'm Aaron Fulton with Raven News. Sitka police say a school bus driver was arrested Thursday on suspicion of driving under the influence after going the wrong way on Edgecombe Drive and hitting a parked car. A statement released Friday from the Sitka Police Department says the unnamed 61-year-old driver was ferrying 21 school children when she lost control of the school bus. Sitka Police Sergeant Gary Cranford told Raven Radio on Friday afternoon that authorities aren't ready to release the bus driver's name. This is still under current investigation, and all I can say is that the person in the press release or the individuals in the press release have not been officially charged. That's why there's no identification in the press release. Sitka police say the bus was observed shortly before 3 p.m. traveling in the wrong lane of Edgecombe Drive. It nearly struck a marked police car and hit a parked vehicle and a stop sign. Police chased after the driver who eventually came to a stop, but not before veering into several sidewalks and curbs. The driver failed a field sobriety test and police say she had a blood alcohol level of 0.17 percent, more than twice the legal limit. No injuries were reported. Sitka School District Superintendent Frank Hauser confirmed that the driver was pulled over as the bus was leaving Keet Gushaheen Elementary. But Keet Gushaheen Principal Casey Demert was notified immediately and he and staff assisted students and contacted families impacted by this incident. He and staff reached out to all impacted families yesterday. Hauser said the district has no information beyond what was provided by police. He said the district is cooperating with the investigation. In an email to elementary school parents, Hauser said the driver is not a Sitka School District employee. The district website lists Island Bus Company as the contractor providing bus services for the district. We have a correction. When we aired this story on Friday evening, we reported that Sitka School District Superintendent Frank Hauser said the crash happened after the school bus departed from Kitkushaheen Elementary. Hauser did confirm that the school bus driver was pulled over after leaving the elementary school, but did not confirm the time of the crash, which is still under investigation. We apologize for the error, which was corrected for this morning's broadcast. In honor of Black History Month, KCAW has been exploring what it means to be black in a small Alaskan town. In part three of our series, Black in Sitka, Tosh Kimmel meets with local chef and Jamaican national, Sean Hutchinson. My name is Sean Hutchinson. Um, I'm from Jamaica. I was born in St. Elizabeth, uh, moved to Kingston uh, at a tender age, and um, yeah. When did you get to Alaska or even the States? I was going to UTEC uh, doing a culinary arts management, and um, from there you have a couple guys from here um, doing cultural exchange program and stuff, and I was introduced to it by one of um, my dorm mates. They only have like Sitka available because uh, down the lower 40 it was like booked out and stuff. I wanted to work at like one of those fancy restaurants, you know, five star and stuff, but it wasn't available at the time. And uh, like, so it's like a summer program. So I did it like for two two years and um, met broke my wife, uh, fell in love and stuff. and. Was your family at home like, you're crazy? What do you Everybody did, yeah. Oh, yeah, a lot of people asked me uh, why he did that. What's it like raising a mixed-race son in Sitka? It's uh, like trying, we're going to try and try for a trip one of these times um, for him to like gain the fullness of our culture, uh, Jamaican culture. But um, being a mixed 
culture here, it's, uh, I would say he gained much more of um, being here. He learns more um, this side of the, the world here. Do you miss having like a black community around you and like? Yeah, uh, for for sure. Yeah, because you know you can't forget where you, you're coming from and stuff. And yeah, it does make an impact. Um, you know, being around a lot of uh, different color people because even like our friends and stuff are, like like the toddlers and stuff like come to you and say. Why your skin is different color than you know um, so if <laughs> if you were gonna give advice to a, a black person moving to Sitka like what would you what would you tell them what would you say <clears throat> I would say uh, get a happy lamp <laughs> 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 yeah just work uh, stay focused and you know like it doesn't matter really where you at be like happy and stuff That was Chef Sean Hutchinson speaking with KCAW's Tosh Kimmel for our series, Black in Sitka. In part four of this series, we'll meet longtime Sitkin and city maintenance worker Mia Antonini. Some communities in Alaska that release treated wastewater into the ocean could be facing big costs for upgrading sewage treatment. State environmental regulators have been meeting with local government representatives about the need to reduce bacteria levels in shoreline mixing zones. Joe Vicknicki reports from Petersburg. Nine coastal communities, large and small, from Anchorage to Ketchikan, are permitted by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency to disperse treated wastewater from municipal sewer systems into the ocean. The Federal Clean Water Act requires municipal wastewater discharges meet both primary and secondary treatment levels. The first, or primary, stage uses gravity to separate solids from liquids. The second uses filters, bacteria, or some other process to break down organic waste. For decades, these communities have had EPA waivers allowing them less than full secondary treatment for wastewater, but that could be changing. Gene McCabe is the Alaska Department of Environmental Conservation's program manager for the Wastewater Discharge Authorization Program. He says guidance has evolved over the last two decades to ensure that mixing zones are issued consistently and permitted to be as small as practically possible. What's changed is the fact that we need to establish for any proposed mixing zone we would need for the bacteria, which obviously we do, um, that we go through this process of establishing, has the permitted facility done everything that's practicable prior to requesting the use of a mixing zone to meet the water quality standards? Petersburg's primary processing includes running waste through screens and clarification tanks to remove solids before it's pumped out into a mixing zone in Frederick Sound. The levels of fecal coliform bacteria at the outfall do not meet state water quality standards for collecting shellfish or swimming, but a state-regulated mixing zone dilutes the pollution over a much larger area, lowering bacteria levels. An EPA study from last August modeled the dilution and distances at those mixing zones in Haines, Ketchikan, Petersburg, Sitka, Skagway, and Wrangell. It concluded that much larger areas would be needed to achieve state water quality standards for the maximum permitted output at these sites. And while it's the EPA that issues the discharge permit, the Clean Water Act requires states to certify that there's reasonable assurance that the pollution will meet water quality standards. 
McCabe says of the nine plants with EPA waivers, the ones in Southeast are the first to go through this process. We've been meeting with them regularly along with the EPA and explaining the requirements that we're seeing that we need to have each of these facilities demonstrate what is practicable for reducing the amount of bacteria that they're discharging to reduce the size or even the need for a mixing zone at all for bacteria. McCabe says the conversation is not about full secondary treatment unless the EPA decides not to reissue the waivers. Instead, he thinks the plants might be required to disinfect the waste using chlorination and dechlorination, for example, or ultraviolet light. The DEC's Water Division Director Randy Bates wrote to mayors of the communities this month that the reauthorization of the waivers is solely in the EPA's court. Bates wrote that the DEC recognizes the additional costs that more treatment could mean, and he pointed to a state loan program or the federal infrastructure bill as potential sources of funding. Petersburg's Utility Director Carl Hagerman told the Petersburg Borough Assembly this month that the state is pushing for increased treatment. It's it's obvious from the conversation that, that went on in the meeting that uh, the DEC is completely in favor of moving all uh, primary treatment plants in Alaska, the nine plants that are left that still have these waivers, to secondary treatment. And uh, while they want to offer that up as a um, uh, freebie, you know, counting on some federal monies to fall out of the sky and, and fund all that, they can't guarantee it. Hagerman told the Assembly he doesn't know the cost of the additional treatment, but gave a very rough estimate of around $2 million. If the EPA doesn't reissue waivers and requires full secondary processing, the cost could be much more. Hagerman said depending on the upgrades required, it could also increase annual budgets. It will definitely be more. Uh, than we than we pay now, and it and it may extend to staffing because a, lo- a lot of secondary treatment plants use a biological system to to provide that level of treatment, and that biological system needs to be monitored constantly. And so a lot of secondary plants have 24-hour coverage, and right now we we don't. We have seven-day coverage, but only eight hours a day. Petersburg's assembly voted unanimously to send a letter to Governor Dunleavy seeking grant money to cover costs of treatment plant upgrades if they're required. In an email, Hagerman writes that the borough tests its discharge water twice a year and the utility operates well under permitted limits for fecal coliform. According to reports in the Petersburg pilot, the city of Petersburg constructed its wastewater plant with secondary treatment in 1977, but that processing broke down soon after, leading to a lawsuit between the city and the companies that designed and built it. The municipality continued with only primary treatment after receiving a waiver from the EPA. In Petersburg, I'm Joe Vicknicki. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. (laughs) 